Hello, and welcome to Conspiracy Games and Counter Games, Season 2 of The Order of Unmanageable Risks, a podcast about capitalism and its anxieties. My name is Max Haven, and I'm Canada Research Chair in the Radical Imagination at Lakehead University. And I'm A.T. Kingsmith, a PhD candidate in politics at York University. Uh, this season, our podcast is dedicated to going beyond the headlines and the easy answers and exploring the rise of conspiracies, conspiracy theories, and conspiratorial thinking in a gamified capitalist world. And my name is Aris Komporosos Afanasiu. I'm an associate professor of sociology at University College London. So we're really pleased today to have uh, Mariam Dishkovite uh, with us. Mariam is a creator of content on the intersection between video games and politics. And she is also a lecturer at the Royal Holloway University of London and a marketing executive at a BAFTA winning game studio. In the past, Mariam was involved in the creation of both the British and international chapters of the game unionization movement and also an organizer of anti-fascist gaming events. Uh, Mariam has been uh, also shortlisted for the gamesindustry.biz 100 Women in Games 2019 and was nominated Campaigner of the Year at the MCV UK Awards uh, in the same year. Uh, she's written for publications such as Vice, The Guardian, Kotaku, Rosa Luxemburg Foundation, and many others. And her clients include Tate, VA Galleries, Backpack, European Universities University, and Indie. India Sabe. So welcome, uh, Mariam. It's lovely to have you with us. Thank you so much. What a joy. Uh, well done for doing such a brilliant project. And it's a, it's a privilege to, to appear on your, your show. So I was, uh, just to kick us off, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you arrived at this intersection between anti-fascist games uh, between games and politics, video games and anti-fascism. How did you arrive at this juncture? Ah, oh, gosh, I, I don't know which one came first, games or politics. Uh, I think must be games it was probably my one way I was able to connect with my dad who was not really, he was quite an absentee dad, you know, so, so certainly 90s kid in Eastern Europe, Doom and Quake was very much part of my uh, growing up in, in dingy internet cafes in the streets of of Konas. Uh, and then I guess the biggest bane of my life hit me was around when I was a teenager was, was the politics, right? I keep thinking like probably I would be a happier person if I, <laughs> if I wouldn't have uh, been infected with the, with the, with the virus that is uh, radical politics because yeah, that stays with you. And so, uh, um, so, so I kind of continued gaming, but upon moving to London and involving myself in the squatting scene, which I had to do due to material conditions, uh, I found myself really hiding that I'm gaming. I don't know how it is around your circles. And I think maybe it's a bit better now since people have realized that this industry is bigger than, you know, games, oh, sorry, than, than film and uh, music industries combined. Uh, but in the kind of in, in the, uh, during my time still, I think the left just felt, you know, just so the moralism was so uh still so strong and and um and uh I've, yeah the, I've, i really had to hide the fact that i'm a gamer you know uh, uh there would be all the kind of like more uh, wholesome activities were only allowed in the kind of milieu that i was in 
So, uh, so, 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 so I continued just being, you know, I suppose a lifestylist of some sorts, uh, and then just this, but, but secretly gaming. Uh, and then the st uh, statistic hit me precisely, you know, it was around 2016, 2017 that we found out that games are now just bigger than films and music combined. And, uh, and, just, and so, so it just seemed like such a vast cultural space that yet and politics most certainly happens in there. And yet the left is nowhere to be seen for the most part. And so, of course, in the 50 years of the medium's existence, for the most part, it has been taken over by fairly unsavory voices. Uh, this was around the time when I... Um, heard that Steve Bannon is organizing in this space. Of course, we had uh, Gamergate and people like Milo Yiannopoulos very actively enmeshing themselves into um, you know, gaming forums and, and spaces like that. Since then, we've heard more and more uh, examples of radicalization happening in a variety of games. So it just seemed, uh, so, you know, as a good, as a good anti-fascist, it, it, just, it just seemed to be like it's a, it's a place to be. Um, uh, so that's where I began my, I suppose, um, investigations into the space. I wrote my master's thesis on that. Um, and it seemed to be like there was a thirst for this kind of content. So I was able to then, um, you know, uh, create, create more video content and, and, and write articles on that. Um, and it just, now there's more and more people really beginning to look at gaming from a critical perspective uh, in that sense. but. Uh, but it's still it's still very much at the beginning, and I worry that it's somewhat too late by now. Actually, hmm. yeah, no, fascinating. And actually, uh, I wanted to follow up um, with a question about um, the community of gamers. That I suppose you're describing, you know, the, this element of stigma and, and shame, and you know, hiding the, you know, the the identity of the gamer. Um, uh, and I'm wondering, as you were describing your uh, the last few years and how you arrived at this uh, organizing and using uh, working on games as a political tool, uh, whether that was also about finding a community, a broader community, and and if you could tell us a little bit about how that community um, looks like. And I know that you're also very involved in. Uh, unionizing uh, within that community. So, yeah, just, and I'm asking also because I ha we have in mind, you know, as you said about the stigma that is attached to gaming, you know, we do often, something that we're looking at in our project is this um, view, this condescending view of this, of gaming as, you know, it's a very individual activity. It's not about a community, it's about individuals. So, yeah, I'm wondering about your thoughts on that and your experiences. Well, I wouldn't necessarily agree that it is a, an individual experience. There, there is a variety of cooperative games and also massive online multiplayer games where a really, and this maybe we'll talk about this a little bit uh, during the podcast, but this is where I see a lot of self-organization, self a lot of cooperation that, that does actually inspire feelings of, well, uh, of, of, of so that, well, solidarity, I think, amongst peers. So I wouldn't be that pessimistic, but you know, look, I mean, with every technology, there is a certain moral panic around it, right? And so um, yeah, the, here there was this generation that finding that are finding themselves, you know, stuck to the screens and finding friends there rather than, I don't know, going outside or whatnot, right? So the parents weren't particularly <laughs> stoked. And, uh, and, and, so, and so the media, I think, similarly to, and I bet you probably have also covered this, you know, kind of, kind of satanic panic uh, feelings of late 90s or whatnot, you know, similarly, we, we saw so many just over um, scandalized cases. Um, but the medium became, you know, much more sophisticated, not only with its themes, uh, but also communities have become just much more diverse. And 
uh, this is why I, I, you know, I wouldn't say it's a gaming community. I would say that uh, um, every game has its own, you know, taste or tinge of the co of of, of a community spirit. Um, and its own and its own politics and its own way of communicating and its own language and I think some of game some gaming communities are much closer to some film communities let's say I don't know like I mean much more actiony games will be perhaps closer to I don't know Marvel Universe right and then you find and then you also have all of small independent games that are made by individuals that perhaps in the past really just didn't have access to uh, to the hardware, the software, the making of the game. So now that's much more democratized. And, and to me, that medium in its uh, richness and depth and thematics and uh, ways of distribution is, is much closer to an independent films uh, movement, as well as uh, um, some some parts of fine art, fine art world as well. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, like, I think gaming is very much portrayed as, as this monolith, but there, there's just, I mean, at this point, there's just everything that is good and bad and ugly about the world that goes on there. You know, compassion, anger, depression, anxiety, solidarity, all the rest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I suppose one specific way of solidarity within the gaming community is the unionization element. So can you tell us a little bit about your involvement in that? Um, it, it, so the plight of workers that are creating games is an invisible and yet um, is, is an invisible you know, pain as such that is bit by bit being spoken about more and more, which is which is great to hear. But I mean, for what, for 50 years, it just seemed like it's such a glamorous industry. We just have, you know, your ping pong tables and your uh, and your uh, and your bars and everything. Of course, that's um, perhaps um that image was perhaps propagated by some some uh, studios of like the 1970s of the early or the early 90s in Atari we had you know board board meetings on hot tubs and and sex workers also bringing in cocaine to the board meetings and pornography films being shot at Atari offices and things like that uh, so so I think that that uh, the idea of, of that camera kind of stuck on but behind the scenes and especially now even more in the global south where so much of, of the of the work is being um, outsourced as well within massive game studios is 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 crunch. Crunch is of course really uh, just awful uh, overtime. So that would be sometimes close to the deadline of the game, or sometimes can last for months and years. Um, individuals working 100-hour weeks, mass layoffs is sadly a very uh, is sadly a very um, common occurrence in in the video games industry sexual harassment, racism, um, exclusion of all types. Uh, it's, it's sadly, um, it's, 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 it's still, it's just a, it's, it's an industry that because of lacking of unionization just um, didn't have any strong controls or any uh, strong, you know, I suppose body where workers could admit that this is, this is not joyful for me. I'm actually suffering, you know, and there's, a, I think a lot of quiet suffering, but uh, uh, but yeah, with the, with the explosion of uh, organizations like Democracy Night, and now actually a few legal trade unions around the world, uh, it seems it's and, and also to be fair with the with the birth of social media as well, where developers themselves have become voices uh, for better for worse. They often have a very close relationship to the players themselves, um, and so they are able to have that uh, to have that voice and and complain. Uh, way more than at any other time. So, uh, so yeah, we're, certainly it's it's an optimistic time in terms of um, uh, working conditions in the games industry. Now that this becomes much 
I think more depressing uh, when you look at the, at, the, at the hardware that is necessary for video games to exist. Sadly, I still see a massive gap of our acknowledgement of you know, the plight of, of whether that is people extracting minerals in the Democratic Republic of Congo, or that is you know, um, factory workers in Foxconn, uh, China. There's, um, I, I, I worry and I look forward to the day when you know, Western game workers will, will uh, really um, provide some solidarity with, with these workers as well, because uh, if it wasn't for them, our jobs wouldn't exist, of course. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's really, really important points there. And, and I think also, um, in, you know, these are debates, of course, in the unionizing movements of uh, other tech workers and, and flexible workers. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, I suppose, is there, just as a quick follow-up, I mean, are there any uh, links with other um, precarious workers unions? I mean, have you found um, drawing connections with other precariously employed workers that are useful or possible? Well, I guess I suppose the uh, the British Union then is is a perfect example because uh, I was was lucky enough to be uh, to be around when this came to be and. Uh, uh, we made sure that the Game Workers United British branch were actually was adopted by the Vendant Workers Union of Great Britain, very well known for its uh, grassroots uh, organizing in, in uh, Uber driver sector, uh, cleaners, carers, um, and uh, many precarious workers uh, around, around London and uh, other, other places in the UK. So Game Workers uh, branch of Independent Workers Union of, of Great Britain has a really strong and wonderful relationship with these, uh, with, these other, uh, with these other workers. And it's kind of really beautiful to see sometimes them interacting and helping each other. So maybe the gamers will make a website for the for the carers branch or something and then perhaps you know the cleaners branch will show up to draw banners for the game workers branch or something like this and i mean this is this is this is it right i mean to me that's the million dollar question right is that is that kind of class solidarity between um between different um yeah bet between different disciplines that for so long and i think with a lot of um organized vigors at least since the 1970s have as have, have lost that connection or have lost that solidarity and uh, i see so much stratification and i don't know division of us in in so many different ways but at the end of the day you know we're all under a boot of a boss and that's maybe our gaming fund there as well you know? mm-hmm yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that gives me the chance to actually move to, uh, to this question of uh, games as a political platform and a vehicle uh, in the current time, especially. And I wondered if you could tell us a bit about exactly what your view of political games is, you know, how you, you speak in your, I mean, I've really enjoyed watching your short YouTube videos where you kind of introduce various topics around gaming and, um, you know, different kinds of radical politics. And so, you know, you talk of games as space for critical thought, for subversion, for experimenting with the unknown, even for revolution. So um, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, what, what in your view, you know, what, what is the, that, political weaponization of games that we can uh, we can think of and imagine in, in this current moment, especially. 
Uh, yeah, so first of all, thank you so much for mentioning Left Left Up. It's, it's my little baby of like oh, two minute videos on all things games and politics. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've stopped doing them, sadly, about a year and a half ago or so. And it just it, it seems to me like, OK, that's it. Nobody will ever like see them or mention them ever again because things get lost in the Internet so much. But it's just so beautiful to think that they still have a life, you know, and and people do still um, watch them, which is just uh, yeah, such a privilege. And I, I do hope to expand uh, in that field, not maybe, you know, perhaps in, in, in longer format in the future. Look, I mean, I am extremely, uh, I have this conflict within me about this entire uh, medium at all times. Um, I come from a, an arts background, you know, my, my background was in, I, did, I guess I'm literally that stereotype. I did fine art at Central Saint Martins, you know, so, uh, and then, uh, so I still am very, I guess, the, um, influenced for better or for worse by, I guess, by the Western canon and my understanding of of of, um, of the sublime, very much from that perspective. And I know that's a very limited point of view of how we look at um, utility in 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 art or whatnot. Um, and so, uh, and I do see fine art as kind of untouched by the or original sin, like gaming does, and that's in terms of its mode of production. Of course, I, 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 you know, I'm a good Benjaminian and Adornian, and I think that gaming perhaps will, at all times, it will just never be uh, good enough as a space for any type of organizing because of its of, of its uh, of the conditions that are inherent in making it. Uh, so it's so although I keep, you know, of course, try to make gaming into a political project amongst the left and i do and i will i will continue the answer with, with with mentioning of course cases that where i see a lot of incredible work being done um still i do just wonder if we're kind of dragging a dead horse and if i'm encouraging a medium that is just fundamentally flawed and uh, and has to have a very deep look at itself beyond even uh you know beyond anything so okay and some then within games i think they're like they're like kind of two strands the way that I see it. So of course you will find a whole new milieu and very much a growing milieu of, I don't know, I call them, I don't know, liberal indie game makers, let's say, who will make their extremely political, uh, politically themed video game that perhaps, uh, you know, whether that will be about, uh, I don't know, McDonald workers or perhaps about something, you know, I know, second world atrocities of second world war, or perhaps even anti-fascist game, or perhaps, you know, riot simulator. Uh, so, so of course, it's great that they exist, and you know, of course, you know, like so, so much of political arts is is there to to encourage conversations, and 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 is important that uh, it exists. My worry at all times is that it is it does end up preaching to the converted, that it finds itself in the echo chambers of 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 the left, and uh, and you know, without already being somewhat. Uh, I suppose um, prescribed with those with those ideas, it, it is it is quite tricky to to be won over by those themes unless there is actually various types of modes of distribution that are perhaps a bit more interesting um, in, in terms of being surprised of where you found the game. Okay, so that setting aside, it's great that they're there. You know, love it. Political games, yay! I mean, I think they're limited similarly to political art, but 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 fine. And then and I think this is the space that I'm much more excited about is, 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 is a much more abstract space of video games that are not created with the explicit um, you know, purpose of politics appearing in them, but they inevitably do. And, um, and I guess in this case, I am mostly mentioning whether a uh, massive uh, online multiplayer, um, whether they're role-playing games or, or, or a few other types, 
where uh, people go, you know, group themselves together and uh, inevitably politics arise. Uh, there are battles inside that where, you know, the, 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 the big guys, well, the small guys will band up and go against the big guys. Perhaps there will be protests inside those games um, and, and, and species like that. So I'll give you a few examples, I suppose. Um, Westward Journey was, uh, you know, an old MMORPG where, um, where um, gamers just uh, decided to, to create a, um, a, a protest inside uh, to, um, highlight, to highlight what they thought was uh, too much Japanese influence at the time in the game. Look, this is not a righteous cause, you know, but still it's like gamers just utilize a particular uh, infrastructure to, to, to tell the, their politics. Um, uh, Black Lives Matter protesters actually uh, gathered in The Sims uh, online um, uh, online uh, session and uh, turned in this entire one space filled with placards and also I think it was a fundraiser all at the same time, uh, you know, with, with hundreds of people uh, connected in that. In Ultima Online, um, uh, again, a lot of a lot of players that didn't necessarily have the resources to buy all the most expensive guns, one day just grouped together and took over the castle of 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 this one British dude that just was throwing money at the game and had his own, you know, massive castle. And they just, you know, they invaded it, they drank the wine, and they kind of destroyed the sculptures and that was their protest there in eve online we see you know a band of brothers um being attacked by goon swarm this this was an epic two-week battle when again all the individuals without any money uh took over the or won the, the battle against people that were just again throwing money at the game um in minecraft we see numerous examples of of fabulous whether that is architecture building but also even all types of um um lifestyle building even within the game uh i see i saw somebody uh, recreating putin's palace in minecraft as well which I, and just uh but and then streaming it online and and just uh, with such ordinary and it was like a, somebody like 16 years old you know and just they were just sharing the technique of just building the build, how you build the castle but actually that informs a whole new generation that perhaps doesn't watch the news about corruption that is taking place uh, in russia right so so it's those spaces where where the game is be the game's rules are being bent in very creative ways uh to awaken that spirit of of rebellion to awaken that that um that that idea of 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 you know of, of breaking the rules to 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 help the one you know with less power and I think that's where the that's where critical critical thinking is actually born and and it has much more space to thrive than according just to the author's um, you know scenario or whatnot. Uh, yeah, so that's why I'm excited. And obviously, and then there is an entire school of thought that explains also pl play as a, as a, as a, I guess, a revolutionary activity where we're looking back to Gide Board and the situation and stuff, of course, and that. And I do see a lot of merit in it, especially within the, the, the wonder of, 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 of the spaces and just trying to completely reimagine them. And I think now with the fidelity of the graphics just becoming so high you know and the realism becoming so easy to achieve i do wonder if we're going to be the next generation will be now looking at how to subvert and make spaces and uh worlds much more surreal in that way introducing even a new generation of thought of how the world could be because it sucks at the moment <laughs>
Uh, yeah, and I'm so glad you mentioned this idea of, of games as like community formation, because we talk a lot about that on, on the podcast and, you know, how things like QAnon and various conspiracy fantasies are in a lot of ways about community formation, not so much about like, you know, misdirection and misinformation. And so I guess I just wanted to maybe ask you to elaborate a bit. I, I see this as maybe a theme across some of your work, this idea of like utilizing infrastructures to, to send a message and uh, like utilizing game infrastructures. And so I would wonder if you would, would you describe the tech or the platform of games as kind of neutral, as a contested space? Like how would you kind of describe like the medium of gaming? Like, is it, do you, do you see it prefigured in certain ways or is it kind of open for contestation? So it really depends on the game itself, right? Because I mean, some are extremely linear and uh, you know, the game designer essentially already has the idea of where you're going to go next. I mean, there's so much testing that is involved where they are pretty sure you know, what, what is, what is going to be your next step. And increasingly we're seeing, if, especially AAA games, of course, really closing in the, the code and making and, you know, the testing becoming so excessive that the idea for a mistake or for a glitch, for something, for a modification becomes much more difficult. So uh, I would say increasingly these are spaces where the rule building is, is much harder and, um, and, and companies are now obsessed on, on, of, of perfection uh, to, I'd say, you know, a, a degree that, kill, that kills the creative, creativity that, that is happening in the medium. Again, look, it really depends on what the, what, the, what the politics of the company is, right, as well. Like, they will allow much more unsavory um, organizing taking, to take space within, a, a, you know, a game whose demographics, um, you know, brings in brings in the money and then they won't enforce you know whether that is some sort of censorship or or uh community modding and and things like this so um no i i i i i to, to answer your your question i think um, i do not see it as, as as a free space and just just in the same way as i don't just in the same way that capital has you know has its ways to um infiltrate any place that perhaps could be uh could be a respite from it right so um if anything becomes popular in a space where uh, thought can thoughts can be changed you can be sure that uh that a certain players uh of of with their you know with uh, with their necessity to control will 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 um will inevitably root themselves in there. Um, and I think the left, for the most part, uh, has, has sort of lost its game. But I am very, you know, in, in, in there. But I am quite nostalgic to, to previous iterations of, of games that were just uh, had much more uh, active modern communities and, and just the spaces where really the, the yeah, the, that, as you say, the contestation, the breaking of the code or the breaking of the space, which was much more encouraged. Now something like this happens and the players themselves feel unhappy. Like you look at the launch of Cyberpunk, right? That was so, well, buggy, of course, and perhaps at, at times also, um, you know, didn't necessarily um, fit the released imagery that uh, for, for launch. And I, I, th I think in the past, people would have found a lot more creativity within that. But now gamers increasingly, also with the rising of, of prices uh, in games and the fact that they can't just download it as single player, they're very much um, multiplayer games. So they, uh, so, so they have to pay the money and there is a rise in price. So they are consumers, right? And so I think that relationship uh, has become one of, of 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 consumer demanding their rights to be met in some sort of way, and that promise 
and that pro the promise of the of the of the game maker becomes much more uh, much more uh, I think well sought after or, or rigid or it needs to be met something that I, I uh, perhaps in the past was a bit more forgiven and um, more creativity was allowed in that world but you know now we have a lot of independent games I think where uh, perhaps that relationship can uh, take place. This is really fascinating and I, I I'm just really appreciating how you're able to weave here the, the sort of cultural analysis of the way that uh, gaming communities form, the way that subjects uh, and form in these communities and, and through games on the one hand, and then the political economic aspect too, about you know how these games are designed and how that's tied into the particular kind of coding and, and technology that the games are, uh, that kind of delimit what's possible in terms of, for instance, forbidding mo uh, modding or even, discouraging people from even wanting that in a certain way. And I, I wanted to see if if that ties in for you to what you were mentioning sort of at the at the beginning of the interview, which is that, you know, in the last decade or slightly more than a decade, we've seen the far right really look to gaming and gaming communities as spaces for recruitment. Um, I mean, do you see that as connected to the way that the game industry, the mainstream game industry, has sort of um, addressed and um, and and cultivated its players in a certain kind of way? Thinking especially here around the kind of virulent misogyny and sort of hyper-masculinity that is often associated with that far-right gaming culture. And then, do you think that's... Do you think that's over? Do you think that that moment is is gone, or is it still with us? And what are the prospects for countering it? Uh, yeah, I must say that the fact that uh, up until very recently gaming was a, a space of the of the you know the adolescent man was was it it's it kind of was it was a bit of a mistake how it all came to be. Well, not mistake, but an accident, I'd say, how it all came to be because um, you know gaming itself when it at, at its roots was uh, very much seen, you know, the, the themes there weren't set. It was like sports games, you know, whether that's uh, Pong and, 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 and things like this. And also uh, you did have actually even a wave of, co of women coders at the beginning, but it was Atari and its, and its PR attempts to, to, to really, as I said, you know, ones that were kind of attempted to be sexy, but ended up being sexist. And I think that really codified who was gonna be, you know, the person that's gonna be making games. And then the nineties didn't help of course as well, because Quake for instance and Doom are uh, mechanically extremely impressive inventions and, and, um, and, um, um, products that that really created a generational leap in technology. You know, instead of that 2D movement, we have now had 3D movement. But just because Romero is a god, you know, and and just uh, he just slapped that whole lot of violence on top of it, right? And so, you know, at the time when it was just like then Doom became like just the most popular game in the world, it, it did just have those gory aesthetics attached to it, you know. And then actually things became slightly even more, I'd say, nefarious when uh, United Space, uh, United States Department of Defense just started funneling hundreds of millions of dollars into the gaming space in like late '90s, early 2000s. Of course. To make war games right so so then you know of course so by that point you know that, that that the image of of gaming as as a as a kind of shooty platform just really solidifies didn't used to be that way and so of course you know the the, the birth of the alienated male is is there something that would you know the consequences of which we are still uh living with uh, have, 
Yeah, I mean, I think we'll talk about it a bit later on, but uh, I, I don't know, I just think uh, ostracizing and or uh, demonizing is not the way to convert these people. You know, it's it's more of a, it's for people that do have a way to, well, do have the, I guess, time or, um, I don't know, I guess it's ability, well, not even ability, but I guess, I don't know, just the emotional labor in them or so to, to educate them. I think they should be getting on with, with that work. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and then it was really just the, I'd say with the birth of uh, Nintendo Wii that was heavily, um, that was heavily um, promoted and marketed to families. That was early, maybe, yeah, that was early 2000s or so. And then just with the rise of independent gaming that we saw a real democratization of who the, who the gamer is. Uh, and now, uh, and now, I mean, fifty percent, well, forty-eight percent of of uh, gamers are are women now. So I'd, I'd say, although some companies will forever just market their games to a particular population, that will never change. And I think some of them, obviously, also encouraged by some far right figure figures, do are the the impression that you know their medium is being taken over. And but of course, there is no lack for of titles for them. Of course, you know, we've we already talked about games and politics for about half an hour and we haven't touched on Gamergate yet, which is amazing. And I won't get, get into it for at all, like I won't get into it deeply uh, uh, at all. But it, but that 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 period, and I, I really hope there'll be books written about this and in the, in the, in, for the fact that it was very much manufactured. Like, I mean, we literally now have just leaked DMs of, you know, of Milo Yiannopoulos getting in touch with all the main um um, like main community managers on uh, and, and figureheads and I, I guess influencers on uh, 4chan and things like this and popping this up and then being like ban on hey you know like I'm covering this you do you mind then you know posting a bunch of articles on on Breitbart and then in space of like nine months the Bannon just ran like 20 articles on you know on the how awful uh, I know Zoe Quinn is or whatnot you know so it was a it just a I don't think it would have happened this way if it wasn't for very, very uh, organized efforts by by the right. So, and I think a lot of people wrote gamers off at that point as well, whereas I, I think, and, and again, ostracized them in some sort of way and for, for very good reasons with some of them, of course, you know, they harass people horrendously. Uh, but, you know, what do we, what are we trying to do here? Again, we're also as the left, like, what are we, what are we doing? I mean, I think, um, I don't know. I think that uh, at attempts at, um, perhaps winning over those heights are a bit more useful than like kind of like a very liberal ostracization and like seeing people as fundamentally forever flawed, you know? Yeah, I think uh, this, this really is very interesting. And it's something that, again, we have been uh, discussing a lot in this podcast, the uh, with reference to conspiracy theories, mostly in the world of QAnon and, and the... Uh, the ways in which uh, liberal commentators broadly kind of tend to uh, approach uh, those involved in these worlds in, in a kind of uh, you know, dismissive way, or the ways in which the debate is framed around reason versus uh, stupidity, really, in, in, in kind of crudest terms. So, but I, I wanted to ask you a bit more. Uh, one of the initiatives that I've uh, sort of I've been looking at with great interest on your website is the, that, that platform that you were involved in, this project called AAA. Triple and I got agony on, you mean? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. that's the one. And so 
Um, I found that really fascinating. You, you describe this as a project uh, that seeks to re-engage with spe spaces that are traditionally occupied by the old tribe, and with the purpose of reclaiming it and give uh, mostly men uh, a space to ask questions, challenging questions in a, in a judgment-free zone. So um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that project and then I guess how it links to the approach that you're describing to looking at um, uh, gamers and the alt-right and, and kind of, um, yeah, the, the, how, to, how to engage them in, the, in that kind of space. For sure. I mean, first of all, again, thank you so much. It's like it feels like, I don't know, um, Internet archaeology, you know, just digging out like the things that sadly have kind of maybe become a bit more dormant on Archaeagonians, but uh, but also a project that I will forever be extremely uh, proud of. Um, as I was doing my work in the in the gaming space, trying to introduce, I suppose, material politics and socialism to gamers that have kind of gone the wrong way. I did receive a lot of messages from people saying, look, I was in the old right, I was veering towards the old right, but then I read your contact, I actually began to change my mind. You know, when I say a lot, I got like 12 in like nine months, but that's a lot to me. I'm like, you know, I've changed 12 people's opinions. That's amazing. Uh, and uh, so, so, so it seemed to me like, you know, these are not these individual stories are not a foregone conclusion. There is a fight here. There is a, it's a contested space, right? So, and, and another argument that certain, well, another entire space that of course, by that point was, um, yeah, I don't know, occupied by the liberal discourse was that of, of, of incels and uh, just the, the eternal barrage of, of, of um, I don't know, just the mocking that was, that was, that was um, dedicated to them. And I looked around, my circles and I, I knew a lot of wonderful single men you know that are just trying to do their best but are having you know perhaps tricking counselors every now and then and just don't have a space to 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 talk to anybody apart from other liberals that will perhaps like I don't know well just liberals that will dismiss them and I mean I'm making it all sound really grandiose but essentially it was me and my very beloved friend Rowan we we lived together at the time and we were just we were I guess drinking a lot anyways and we would be talking about these things anywho so we're like all right well, why not just like film us talking you know and uh and uh, so, so at all times, we made sure that we had like either wine, cocktails, or beer with us. And we just, uh, first of all, asked our friends to send us questions anonymously about love, sex, and relationships. And then it just became, well, just massive for us in the sense of like, um, well, of course, there were, you know, there were the thousands of views, which was amazing. We're invited to do live shows and we do, were doing some radio shows. And when the pandemic hit, we were going to like tour in the summer and things like this. But and so so it was, you know, professionally was was wonderful. However, um, the, 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 the project didn't necessarily survive due to the fact that we found ourselves again also kind of stuck in the leftist echo chamber. And so the project began as as helping you know, for the most part, cis men, but then we realized there's such a gap in the market that just a lot of lefties were asking us questions about entire, you know, so many situations to do with their issues that we're just not equipped to talk about. So essentially the show that was just like two girls getting drunk started being something that we were just quite nervous to talk about certain themes that because we just don't represent them, you know, so whether that is, you know, questions around uh, gender identity or uh, mental health issues or, um, or um, 
you know, sex work, you know, themes that most definitely have to be covered. And I'm actually really amazed that a similar show hasn't come up since, like nobody's kind of been doing it since, which I really, we really thought that somebody much bigger will just take over and do something like this. But, uh, but so, so the, the shows that are being less about, and, you know, we can answer questions for cis men for them, you know, whilst we're drunk, because we know that we know those situations. But when you're talking about much more, I guess, sensitive themes about situations that you just you can't recognize as ones that you've necessarily like dealt with yourself. You just have to be much more, you have to feel much more responsible and you have to be just much more responsible. So we just felt like we were losing fun with it. Okay, well, that's the thing also, like there just became the fear of like, uh, somebody will just make a clip of like 21 seconds of Rowan and Mariam being, you know, I don't know, insert x bad thing that was awful for you to be you know ostracized over you know so uh so yeah so we I just think we we both realized that the the fun that we had initially with the episodes just kind of went which was devastating because we think that something like that is really important to exist but um we both you know we both have jobs outside of this we cannot afford to have controversies and we just can't and there's just so much bad faith on the internet, you know? So we just couldn't be those those people that can sadly continue this. Maybe people in much more secure material positions could do this, but for us, we were like, we're doing this for free essentially, and uh, we can't risk, I don't know, people with bad faith just attempting to take our words out of context and things like this, which is which is really sad that I, I see, I think a lot of good leftist uh, content disappears because of that I mean you can just look at contrapoints of course and things like that so yeah but it, but it was incredible to see definitely just people really again changing their minds and reflecting and the entire show was very much putting empathy at the beginning you know there was no dumb question we were you know we were always trying to empathize with the person that uh, that was asking the questions and it it just felt yeah right because it's it's amazing how many people were like I have nobody to ask you know this awkward question about who I kiss like this or where do I touch there you know and and uh we felt yeah we felt very privileged at the time to be able to be of utility but also kind of sad of the state of the internet where we couldn't continue I suppose yeah I mean it's it's sad to hear that you know once again like kind of sometimes on the left we suck the fun out of everything totally you know? yeah. uh, which is a huge bummer um and in this show we're trying to be like how do we again rethink play rethink fun how do we like have bring that fun back in you know and not think it's like superfluous and you know and since you said you know there are no stupid questions I would love to throw a question at you it's something that I'm often thinking about and, and chatting with people and it's not directly about like you know romantic relationships but it's about like friendships and interpersonality and I guess I just wanted to maybe ask you a bit you know have you thought much about it because I think about this all the time you know I think there's this tension often in like organizing and in like social movements where people often want to work with folks that they either like or are attracted to versus people who might be like the best for the kind of job that we need to accomplish. You know, it's the kind of classic, like, I don't necessarily have to like really like you as a person to recognize that you do really good work and we should like organize together or something, you know? Oh, sadly, I'm very, very depressed on, on that front <laughs> in the sense that I, I see um, not even people, well, people making mis perhaps mistakes and being um, pushed out of movements, but even people not making mistakes, but just because they're disliked for one reason or another, uh, you know, being said that they're not good enough to continue with the struggle, which is uh, yeah, just incredibly up upsetting. But of course, you know, now the, the sadness also about 
what we're doing here is that we're creating uh, an economy of the of the of, of the right answer of the righteous cause you know and of these micro influencers uh political micro influencers union influencers you know I, I probably maybe was that or definitely tried to be that you know like i was like oh i'll mix you know i don't know anti-fascism and, and sex and gaming and also you know and i mean i guess i was just like feeling kind of like a you know i'm a working class girl i'm gonna hustle for a bit things like this but this is it right that 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 very much uh what's the word it um it's not it's 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 not it's it's not organizing you know like I'm, i did my fair share of it as well but i mean it is the competition for social capital and there's no and, and we're encouraging this and 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 I, I don't know, it's just, it seems to me like it would be great if it went in conjuncture with organizing, but I, 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 I see sometimes, sadly, uh, so much of the air being sucked out of, of, of political thought by, um, you know, interpersonal drama and things like this. And I mean, I saw that there was like a two Dutch unions uh, that um, I think, essentially released the statement that they won't work with the other because a leader of one of them appeared on Wash's YouTube channel, you know, Wash being sort of like, I don't know, socialist YouTuber that does not particularly like, like that, to me, that's devastating to the idea that we're now, you know, throwing real material organizing under the bus due to this like nonsense, you know? So, and, and I mean, you know, if with my tinfoil hat on, talk of conspiracies, like I'm genuinely like, CIA plot a lot of this stuff seriously, you know? but I mean that's because I don't have a language to talk about this, right? Like a scratch that so many of us had of like I don't know being seen is now with the exposure of the technology, all of a sudden is being is being very much uh, uh, satisfied, right? So all of us are getting our fifteen minutes of fame and fifteen minutes of shame, and and uh, yeah, certainly not uh, even the left. I guess we thought that we're equipped to deal with this but like i find myself i'm i'm either like uh there should be more lefties in the gaming space but then now i don't know but now i'm like maybe there's too many commentators on the on the on, on the you know being one of them you know on the space rather than actually uh people that are probably outside of this you know away from the screen and doing the heavy lifting and i hope that we can combine the, the two and be you know with, with also a lot of empathy on top but uh not optimistic at the moment <laughs> If you had uh, an infinite budget to create a game to accelerate the left to some sort of meaningful victory, what would how would what would you use? What would you do? Well, it wouldn't be digital. That's for uh-huh. sure. You know, I don't think not not as not as it is right not as digital stands right now. You know, because or unless it was like super fair trade made, right? I mean, all on fair phones that work as I don't know as iPhone 15 or whatnot, right? <laughs> so, so of course, when, when we're thinking of, of uh, yeah, of digital space, we have to at all times uh, be critical of the devices themselves. Uh, other than that, I don't know how it's, I suppose it's, um, the, there's something to be said about just looking at our surroundings with a, with a, with a different kind of perspective. Of course, I guess I'm just thinking of, you know, reconnaissance or um, planeur, but, but, you know, that everybody would be taught from like kindergarten age or like capture the flag, but uh, but uh, but somehow perhaps connected with the with the trade union action, right? So I'm thinking like for today, something to well, let's be optimistic, right? Today we found out 
uh, Modi uh, had to go back from his threats to uh, restructure the Indian farmers' uh, economy, right? And after uh, nine months or even more of very, very radical uh, strikes by the farmers themselves, and sadly, devastatingly, 600 deaths, uh, we found out the incredible news that uh, the work, worker power prevailed and, uh, uh, and uh, Modi won't be able to... Um, go ahead with this plans. So imagine, yeah, I guess I imagine and you know, mass strikes, but with the play, you know, with the with the with an ability to 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 really inject celebration and and that um aspect of social relations into everything that we do. So much of the organizing these days. And I think uh, sometimes the Western left doesn't help itself with it. Can just um and I think that fetishization of even the word organizing and organizers can really reflect, you know, um just the, the level of labor that has to go in. And of course it is it is it is serious stuff. But I mean what I enjoy as well about Independent Workers Union of Great Britain is that they don't forget to do their salsa parties every week, you know, and I think really uh, inspiring um, yeah, play and joy and and interactions and intimate interactions if it needs to be, you know, like uh, in spaces of organizing is, is of utility. Gosh, I don't know, probably I'll get nails to the cause just by seeing that, you know, but like, what are we doing here? We're doing, I don't know, it's, it's all about social production. It's all about joy at the end of the day right and the hope is that we find that in political spaces rather than seeing it as 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 work because all of us work already a lot you know we don't like less of that please <laughs> so yeah i'm sorry that's probably a bit of a bad answer but i guess i'm just hoping yeah some really big injection into the entertainment economy of organizing you know? no that's amazing yeah, i mean this is indeed a much, uh, you know, it is a helpful note to, uh, to finish on, I think. And um, yeah, uh, Mariam, thanks once again for joining us uh, for this episode. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. And well, so well done with the, this incredible project. And yeah, what a privilege. Thank you. Great chat. Thank <laughs> you so much Thank for you. joining us. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great.